Episode 3, Radio Remotes. Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. We're back for another episode of Radio War Stories. I'm Dave Jagger. And I'm Don Nelson. It's wonderful to be here once again. And we have a collection of what we hope are amusing anecdotes and stories. We have a lot of brunches where we kind of brainstorm for this stuff. And while we were sitting there today, I was trying to think about what... I'm going to talk about with Don. You were actually trying to decide, should I have a third margarita or not? Well, (laughs) that did come across my mind as well, but I fortunately stopped at the two. When we were in San Antonio, and uh, I first got started into radio, I worked uh, for Keys FM. I mentioned that earlier, K-E-E-Z FM. It was locally owned and operated, as they used to say. And there was a guy that uh, was a big name in San Antonio radio. Ray Hunt, and Ray had worked at virtually all of the big radio stations. He was a much-renowned news guy in the market that worked uh, the big WOAI, which was the big clear channel, uh, you know, 50,000-watt blowtorch in the city, and uh, some other smaller markets as well. KONO, one of my favorite top 40 stations. So as it turned out, when I got into radio at my first commercial radio job, this was a live assist automated radio station, so they didn't have a big air staff. You hepped them, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, so the automation was a big Schaefer system in the front lobby. The owners wanted everybody to see the automation system when they came in. Why, I don't know, because it was not terribly exciting. A bunch of reel-to-reels and cart machines, circular cart machines, that kind of thing. Stuff going round and round. Exactly. Right. Not terribly exciting. And then we had one studio, one and a half studios, a kind of a little newsroom, and then the main studio where we also did our production. So I was working one day during the week. They called me in because somebody was on vacation. They're, once again, the staff wasn't that big. And I had to do the introduction for Ray. Ray sat in the little booth on the other side of the main studio, and he had been there for maybe an hour or two getting his stories together and his comment, because it was news and comment with Ray Hunt. So my buddy, who got me the job there at Keys FM, was standing there, and we were joking around, and Ray was in the other room doing what he does. And uh, Phil started making fun of this guy's name. And I said, no, don't do that. You're going to mess me up when I open up the mic. And he goes, ah, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So it was time for Ray Hunt's News with a Comment. And I hit the intro music, opened up the microphone and said, and now we welcome Ray Grunt with News <laughs> and a Comment. And I closed the mic. And I just turned around and looked at my friend. Why is it that newscasts always are the ones that tripped us up? When when I was in Jonesboro, I did this this 15-minute newscast, and after reading the local news, it was time to turn to sports. And I looked at my script and very diligently said, and now, taking a leak on the local sports scene. <gasps> Top that one. <laughs> That's pretty good. 
hey, I thought, that's it. I'm, I'm done. They're going to come in here right now and fire me. And Ray is going to get all mad because he was such a well-known guy in the market. Nothing came of it. He didn't even look up when I said his name incorrectly. One of the first things I ever did on the air that I really thought I was going to get fired for, and I never did. Nobody said a word to me. And, and mine along that line was the first time I ran into the, the movie star Nina F-O-C-H. And the way I pronounced her name, we won't go there, but go ahead. <laughs> Keys FM was uh, a place where we also had a really cool room just with the teletype, the teletype machine where we got our newscasts and so forth, and, and the weather machine as well. We're in another room, a really small little off kind of almost like a broom closet. But the guys on the air, unbeknownst to the management, had put a telescope in there, a little small <laughs> telescope. And the reason was is because we were on the 29th floor of the Tower Life building in downtown San Antonio, which was at the time before they built the Hemisphere Arena and stuff, was the tallest building in San Antonio. And we were just virtually at the top of that building. So the reason we had that telescope in the teletype room... Here it comes. ...was because there was a travel lodge right outside the window and below us. And we used the telescope for... Extracurricular activity. Viewing activities. Yeah, viewing activities. And we did see a few. Unfortunately, we just didn't have any cameras to hook up to the telescope. <laughs> Where was the iPhone when you needed it? Right? Well, that would have been nice. What about you, Don? Hard to say. You know, after listening to that one, I think I'm just going to go home and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Too many margaritas. The one thing that, that struck me uh, after our first couple of sit-downs here, uh, again, goes back to parallels. And the the most striking parallel is the fact that both of us had careers that started because we were able to appear at a radio station and ask for the owner, and he was there mm -hmm. trying to pretend he was busy because he was the owner, but he was more than happy to see us. I mean, guys just literally walking in off the street saying... Hey, I want to be your next disc jockey. Yeah. And they, they gave us the chance to audition. And in instances for both of us, they hired us. Uh, today, if you walked into a radio station and asked for the owner, they'd look at you like you were out of your mind. Okay? Because there are no owners per se. The owners are hedge funds. Uh, the owners are sitting in New York or Brussels or wherever. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that you and I both were able to, you on your hog, uh, <laughs> me and my uh, 1948 Hudson, which then became a Pontiac, uh, were able to, to sit down, present ourselves to the people who could hire us and who did and who allowed our careers to move forward. I had no idea. I was as lucky as I was to start in a market that size. Yeah. I truly didn't because it was just my hometown. So I had tried at many different radio stations. I didn't walk in and talk to the owner. I didn't have the cojones to do that like you did when you were 13 or 14 or 15 years old. I would have loved to have been able to do that. I was more frightened about the fact that there were so many radio stations and there were so many 
things to consider, the competition. I mean, San Antonio probably had 25 or 30 signals at the time, mm -hmm. not just in the city, but surrounding areas as well. And no matter what I did, people tried to dissuade me, even my own family. I want to go into radio. Can I go over to this radio station? I just want to go in and talk to, see if I can talk to anybody at the radio station. No, no, because it's not a good career for you. Nah, you're never going to make any money on that. You're never going to. Dave, I think you should focus more on this than doing radio. You don't want to do radio. There's no money in it. Well, that was all true, but... <laughs> it was, and to this day, it's even truer. But it, at the time, I was not going to be dissuaded. My friends and everybody that had to help me become so enthralled with radio, so hungry to be on the air, uh, I never let loose. Uh, there are many stories of my buddy Mike and me riding around San Antonio on his little scooter. He had a Vespa scooter. And if KONO was someplace in their Alamobile, which was their remote right. unit, boy, we were there. We were there, and I remember one Saturday morning, they were at some uh, outside uh, shopping plaza somewhere, and we drove up at about 8 o'clock in the morning, and the Saturday guy was on the air. Ken Carter, who I eventually worked with later at uh, Class FM in San Antonio, was, he was a news guy, but he was on the air, and we were just standing there watching him, and because it was really fascinating to us, like you said, just almost have our faces up against the window and smudging it with our greasy fingers. He came out and gave us the biggest, best reward I had ever received up to that point in my life, and it was a t-shirt. A KONO t-shirt. KONO. Did is, it fit? It did. KONO is good radio. And I wore that one to gym class in school. And my coach wasn't terribly pleased with anybody that had anything on the front of their shirt. Boys, and his name was Coach Mahan, and I'll never forget this. Boys, I don't want you wearing shirts with things like Super X and 69. I don't want to see that stuff on your shirts. A nice, clean, white T-shirts with your shorts. And if you do, I'm going to hang you up from the rafters by your yin-yang. <laughs> I wore my shirt anyway. <laughs> he never hung me up from the rafters. You know, at about the age 14, uh, in Jonesboro uh, is the home of Arkansas State. And Arkansas State, then it was college, now it's university, uh, had a, a postseason football game at the Refrigerator Bowl in Evansville, Indiana. And we went up to do the broadcast, and they brought me along. There was the two guys, the play-by-play -play guy and the color guy, and they brought me along because they didn't want to carry all the crap. And mm -hmm. I, I'm old enough, I can uh, host it around. Sure. So they had one uh, motel room, had two beds and a couch. All right, so, you know, I got the couch. And uh, the two older guys went out on the town. And when it came time the next morning to head out to the refrigerator bowl, I couldn't rouse them. They were ju just gone, all right? So I said, okay, well, I'm going to take this equipment out and get it set up. You guys can meet me out there. And one of them said, Wah. so I set the equipment up. They never showed. Here we have this remote broadcast that's all sold and all of that. Oh, boy. So I went over to the other 
radio station in the booth and explained that uh, my two guys had gotten drunk and wouldn't show up. Uh, would it be okay if I use their play-by-play? And they said, not a problem. Oh, bet they love that. I put our mic in front of the, the oppos- opposing radio station, and they did the play-by-play, and then I would pull it away, and I read the commercial. Good for you. <laughs> did the other guys ever show up, or did you? Yeah, they, they came in about uh, halftime and uh, picked it up to like nothing had ever happened, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> But you get don't party on a school night, kids. That's always the rule. Don't party on a school night if you have to be at work or on a broadcast the next day. Of course, you continued uh, your career uh, along with the uh, spouse Jerry and and made quite a name for yourself up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, had a kind of an epiphany uh, in Quad Cities at WQUA uh, when I walked out. I at this point had. Uh, couple of kids and you know I was still pretty well starving to death that's the way they yeah. did it but I walked out into the parking lot after my morning show and looked and realized that all the announcers were driving Fords and Chevrolets and, and the salespeople were driving Buicks and Oldsmobiles and the the general manager had a Cadillac and the, and the owner had himself a foreign car <laughs> And I said, Don, you're in the wrong end of this thing here. It's time to do it. And I decided uh, I was going to become a sales guy. And uh, my owner, uh, G. Laverne Flambeau, said, no way, kid. Okay, you're our morning guy. You're doing a great job. Just hang in there. And so I, I went to Toledo, Ohio. WSPD, Big Town, was offered a job by store broadcasting as a sales guy. And I came back to Moline and I said, in two weeks, I'm either going to be selling for WSPD in Toledo or for you. And he looked at me and uh, I know what he was thinking, but he said, all right, uh, you do your morning show and you can go ahead and get into sales, but you get no list. You can call on anybody who's not on somebody else's list. And that was my introduction oh my to sales. That had to be hard. It was fun. I'm sure he did that simply because he thought you'd just give it up and go back to it, being exactly, a morning guy. Exactly. Yeah. And it was long about this time that he decided to sell the radio station and to sell it to a group, a family-owned company in Kankakee, Illinois, called Mid-America. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, grandfather of uh, that family had been a governor of Illinois back in the 20s, mm-hmm. uh, and the current owners owned primarily newspapers. But uh, I was kind of terrified because it was my first opportunity to realize that uh, the, the ownership that I knew today would not be here tomorrow. And, of course, the competition came barreling in, and my friends over across the river at WOC in Davenport, Wonders of Chiropractic, came back and offered me not only uh, the morning show at WOC, but a television show. I could do my very own version of American Bandstand. Nice. And I got to do weekend weather. And I went in and they said, let's just kind of do a little audition thing. And I'm in this studio, this television studio, for the first time. And there are like 50 people running around yeah. doing stuff. They're, they're changing things and moving stuff. And everywhere you look, and there are people uh, putting stuff on my face and all of this kind of nonsense. And, and I just thought, my God, all of this for one lousy television show. 
and I can walk into the radio studio all by myself and get it over with. Mm-hmm. And so I went back, I talked to Mr. Flambeau, who said, you know, hopefully these guys that I've sold the station to are going to turn out to be good guys. But tell you what, you stick around, and if they turn out to be jerks, you and I will leave together. Wow. What a great thing to say. They did not turn out to be jerks. We did not leave together. We had a very long and enjoyable career working together. Take a step back, and what happened with the audition? (laughs) I just was terrified by the whole thing it was just it was television just was not something I wanted to do I always felt the same way I got out of radio for just a couple of years Uh, it's actually where I met my bride Jerry and uh, worked in TV for a couple of years doing production. I did a little bit of weekend weather and sports and things like that. They always give you the weather show. I mean, you can't screw the up weather. the weather, right? No. You put a map up, you're good. That's yeah. all you need. Just know where to put the cold fronts and the warm fronts, and you're good to go. Uh, but, yeah, that's what, what I did. And I thought there's just too many things that can go wrong in television. You have a switcher. You have the floor director. You have the camera guys. You have all these people, like you say, running around doing these things. And when you come from radio you have no idea what the what's going on why why does all of this have to be taken care of just so we can turn the cameras on you know, having been ahead of you by a few years well maybe more than just a few a couple maybe more than a few years uh when i was on air the word format did not exist there was no such thing as a format uh, i was the format i was the guy who was on the air for two hours I went and I picked out whatever the hell I felt like playing that day, and I played it. Okay, it could have been top 40, it could have been, you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, it, it was just, uh, you know, into the late 50s and early 60s that all of a sudden things like rock came along and AOR, which was album-oriented rock, or in my instance, it was all over the road. road. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just, uh, but there was that period of time that I enjoyed so much of going in a half hour before my show, picking out what I wanted to play that day because it was raining or it was snowing or whatever. Uh, not because uh, I had some format guideline in front of me. Did you do a lot of content in between songs, or was it more about the music? It was the music, yeah. 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 yeah that's really, that's what made my time, and it's what made it fun. Yeah. Is, is, and sometimes we'd do themes, you know, mm-hmm. have five, six, eight, ten songs in a row that uh, had perhaps three or four different formats involved with them, but they all somehow uh, went together. Yeah. Any of the youngins that may be listening to us today have no idea what block programming is. And basically, it was something like Don is explaining. Maybe whoever had a two-hour shift had uh, two hours worth of picking out their own music. But then right before they went on the air, it might have been Garner Ted Armstrong in The World Tomorrow or... Arthur Godfrey or some network show that maybe the or the infamous Trading Post. Trading Post, there, Tradio. Funny how it has evolved, and I think that's what everybody says saved radio was the fact that it moved away when television came along uh, and took those radio dramas and things away from radio and put them on TV. Now you're looking at what do we do? Radio stations don't want to go off the air; they're still a viable medium. 
That's when the music guys came in, like Todd Stortz and Gordon McClendon and all the guys that were the, the top 40 pioneers of our day. One here, obviously, uh, Gordon McClendon here in Dallas. He had the big Texas Triangle, KLIF in Dallas, uh, KTSA in San Antonio, and KILT in Houston. Uh, when Gordon McClendon did air shows, and when he was on the air, a lot of times he would have a baseball game. He might have the Texas Rangers or something on, uh, or the New York Yankees, and he would sit in the studio, and he would have the teletype next to him, two bats, little small bats that he would crack together, bring up the crowd noise, and, and explain what the play was. The problem with that was Gordon McClendon fudged a lot of advertising by having a continuous tape in the background that said, Pepsi, Pepsi, ice cold Pepsi, get your Pepsi right here. It wasn't from the stadium, it was from the studio. And, and one of the, the guys that I later uh, was able to compete with uh, was Todd Storrs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storrs Broadcasting uh, had, had done some phenomenal things. They started in Omaha. Uh, they owned WIFE, Wife, in Indianapolis uh, at, the time, at the time I was at Wire in Indianapolis. Uh, and they were a machine. They were just amazing with what they were able to do. The, the first day I got off an airplane in Indianapolis... I'm driving out of the airport, and there is this huge billboard as you're coming out of the airport that says, Welcome home. We've been spending night and day with your W-I-F-E. Ooh, <laughs> what a great billboard. Oh, that's a great billboard. Yeah. But that, that goes way ahead of our schedule. Yeah, but, yeah. But they all do because everything we're talking about somehow comes back. Always. Right. It always does. Well, we had a great time today. I don't know about you, but I had a nice time sharing our stories. Couldn't be better. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.